0: Welcome to Startup Roast, Garage Society's podcast for the time-hungry entrepreneur. Um, today I'm welcomed... Today I'm welcomed. Today I'm happy to welcome uh, Fris and from uh, Fresco Capital um, to join us today. Uh, Fresco is a VC firm and they've been a member of Garage for... Since I joined, which is maybe four or five years ago. Um, since day one. Since day one. And as you've been with us about four four years? you've It's been a with?
1: little over four years now.
0: Wow. Yeah. It's a long journey you've had there with, with Fresco. Yeah. Um, so I think... Uh, I want to touch first on a a little point, Um, I think the last time you talked to one of our team here was about two years ago, Um, and you you said uh, quite a a fun statement, I'm a venture capitalist, I know nothing but my startups, just wanted to check if that's still the case. Uh, Yes, it
1: still is, Uh, I think the breadth of startups has grown. uh, when I first started, it was uh, kind of uh, things that I've uh, previously worked off as an operator and as an entrepreneur. Uh, but I think uh, through um, you know the team here at Fresco and uh, just through talking to a lot of brilliant entrepreneurs, I think the breadth of the companies that I work with has grown. Uh, but still, um, you know, uh, I call myself you know um, uh, you know uh, an operator for an investor for the operators. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. That's great. And Fresco focuses predominantly on early stage companies. Um, how do you sort of mitigate the, the challenges around the, the early stage companies and how you invest into those companies?
1: Obviously, uh, at every stage, uh, you know, a company has a lot of different challenges to handle. Mm-hmm. Um, early stage, you know, things like product market fit uh, could be an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of where we want to come in and help. Mm-hmm. Um, but in addition to that, um, you 're thinking about talent yeah. you 're thinking about uh, what markets to focus on you 're thinking about uh, how is your fundraising going and so uh, in addition to you know the capital that we bring to the table, uh, we try to be again um, friends and just be there for the entrepreneur, uh, regardless of what the question is yeah. and sometimes even regardless of whether we invested or not, uh, because uh, we do believe that you know um, startups and businesses that are innovative take the world forward and would love to see, you know, the world go forward. Yeah, great.
0: And how have you gone forward with Fresco, I guess, over those four years? How's your relationship with the startups developed and your relationship within the company, I guess, and your approach to how you work with startups as a VC?
1: Yeah, uh, I think uh, the, uh, when I first started, um, because I was an operator, mm-hmm. I, I might have had the uh, mindset of... Um, you know, can I do this better, Oh, how can I do this better, uh, but uh, you very quickly realize that as an investor, your job is not to uh, ponder how can you do this better, but how can you empower the entrepreneur to do this better, uh, and I think that was a mindset uh, shift, and um, it took, it didn't take too long, but uh, that was like a key difference for me, and uh, once I realized that things became much smoother mm-hmm. um, and probably the second thing um, that I learned uh, over time is uh, the ability to connect things more and more. As an entrepreneur, you're connecting, you're still connecting things, but you're connecting things within a very small sliver of, you know, the economy. You're like, you're focused, you're laser focused on what you want to solve. Mm-hmm. Uh, as an a investor, especially with Fresco, we have a pretty broad Um, thesis. Um, We know what we want but nevertheless it is pretty broad. We invest in the intersection of people and tech. Um, So that means we have to connect a lot of dots. Um, I think that has been uh, one of the you know most satisfying learnings uh, over over these couple of years is the ability to connect you know things that at first would have like not made any sense but now uh, over experience and over time are a lot more interesting to connect. (laughs)
0: And how do you, for, for someone who's thinking about sort of getting into the VC world, how do you educate yourself? You mentioned there the, the broadness of sort of what you're approaching. How do you educate yourself over the years as you are approaching new markets or new sectors? Like, how do you keep yourself current?
1: Um, one of the, there's many ways. Uh, uh, one of the most fulfilling ways is just talking to entrepreneurs. Uh, entrepreneurs, as I said, are laser focused in the problem and, you know, the market that they want to uh, solve the problem for. So um, they, in theory, know the most about that industry or that market Mm -hmm. in the world because that's what they're solving. And uh, getting the chance to, you know, sit down with them for an hour uh, or so and just like ask questions, learn about the industry and just be curious uh, really helps me get current. Obviously, now that I'm an investor, I get that opportunity and I'm blessed. Uh, but I guess before that, before if, if you're looking to get into the industry, um, I think curiosity is one of the most uh, powerful uh, tool, tool, uh, toolkits that you can have. And just be curious at all times, uh, ask a lot of questions, and you'd be very surprised that the just um, startup and entrepreneurial community, uh, regardless of where you are, is super um, communal. They love giving back. They love sharing, um, and if you are genuine and you know uh, a good person, they will almost never say no to a coffee. Yeah,
0: right.
1: So take those uh, take those coffees. Take those take coffees. coffees. <laughs>
0: um, that ne- leads nicely into my my next question. I, I think we've we've just kind of come out of FinTech Week here in Hong Kong. Bit bit of a different week this week, but last week was FinTech Week, and uh, were you able to participate? And what were some of those takeaways? I guess these these sort of uh, comings together are great opportunities to learn more and connect with some of those experts.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, What I loved uh, that InvestHK did is um, they started the ball rolling with, you know, Start Me Up Week and some of their own owned events, but then very quickly opened it up to the market to take over. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, Anthony and his team at uh, Finovasia did a great job of taking what, you know, InvestHK started as a uh, platform and then started creating, you know, great events. And FinTech Week, I believe, is one of, you know, um, the creations of all of those things coming together um, and uh, fully supported. Uh, I think uh, they got 12,000 attendees to come. Um, I, unfortunately, was only able to attend a part of the conference, Mm -hmm. uh, but when I was there, um, I met, for example, um, Jong-An Internet Insurance Company uh, that was a great talk, and we had a chat with, with Wayne and uh, his team, uh, met a bunch of investors, met, uh, met a bunch of uh, entrepreneurs and founders. So it was, it was fantastic.
0: Yeah, Great. And uh, you mentioned sort of the Hong Kong government support there for the ecosystem. Um, and obviously, Fresco is based in Hong Kong, but I know you guys invest globally, um, and you self, yourself um you yourself are a very global individual um and seem to have lived everywhere and done business in, in various different markets. Um what f- on two sides, sort of what what do you see entrepreneurs and startups um what what's the benefit of working in Hong Kong or launching in Hong Kong? And for a VC, um same sort of question, um, but why Hong Kong as a base to look globally?
1: Um, obviously at the moment, with the current affairs in Hong Kong, uh, it's hard to uh, give a great pitch for Hong Kong, uh, even for you know investors or entrepreneurs. Yeah. Uh, but um, I think if you were to take a step back and um, look at this maybe uh, without the current uh, atmosphere, mm-hmm. um, Hong Kong, first of all, is geographically very well positioned. Yeah. Um, you cover China, you cover... Southeast Asia, you cover Japan and you cover India reasonably well. Mm-hmm. You are that dot in the Venn diagram that covers multiple regions. Yeah. Um, because if you are in any other, you know, major city in in uh, Asia, you don't get as much geographic coverage. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one, uh, you know, very clear ad- advantage here. Um, others were the um, dynamism, uh, the economic dynamism. Everything's always moving. Everything's always working. Uh, at Super high efficiency, and that kind of leads you to be super efficient. Um, as entrepreneurs, uh, the Hong Kong market is not great. It's pretty small, um, unless you have specific industries you want to focus on, right? And fintech is maybe one of them, right? Uh, we're still on the fence on that, but um, specific industries can be large enough here in Hong Kong, but in most situations, I would argue that uh, you want to focus on. A larger market as an entrepreneur. As an investor, um, touching on fintech again, there's quite a lot of financial institutions here. There's quite a lot of wealth generated here and uh, capital parked here, um, and therefore, as investors, uh, you have a pretty good chance of you know uh, rubbing shoulders uh, with other investors, rubbing shoulders with potential LPs, yeah. uh, and that could help uh, you either you know have great co-investors or potentially you know find investors for your own fund. Mm-hmm.
0: That's great. And how, uh, from the, the portfolio that Fresco has, where, what sort of, what's your biggest passion in that portfolio? What areas are you really passionate about and feel that you can drive change and, and have some sort of impact?
1: Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, it's like asking who is your favorite child. Uh, <laughs> so I, I love, you know. You always need to have an answer Yeah, <laughs> uh, We love them all equally. Um, and... Within our portfolio of, you know, uh, almost 60 companies today, uh, you know, we love them all equally. And Mm -hmm. uh, the key uh, is to be able to help them at key inflection points. Mm -hmm. Uh, And obviously we can't be with them 24-7, but take our, you know, 30-minute or one-hour advice and they will run with it and magnify that. And those are the entrepreneurs which we strive to work with. And uh, we're very, uh, you know, glad to say that we have those entrepreneurs in our portfolio. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what gets us passionate uh, and that what gets me passionate is to be able to help them. Uh, but if you were to, you know, uh, push on and ask what is a specific industry I love, um, I have a sweet spot for space technology. Okay. Um, it's probably one of the hardest uh, industries to invest, in, you mm-hmm. know, early stage VC yeah. because uh, typically, space tech is associated with you know Tesla, uh, Elon Musk,
0: SpaceX, yeah, yeah. Uh, Richard Branson's uh, you know uh, Virgin mm-hmm. uh,
1: Space. So you get these high uh, capital-intensive companies, uh, and so early stage VC is not to that. But uh, there are more and more companies like Spire, for example, mm-hmm. which is within our portfolio, um, that uses capital-efficient methods to um, get into the space industry.
0: So what does Spire do?
1: Spire um, shoots nano-satellites, so okay. it's the size of a kind of wine box into okay. space. Okay. Um, they have a thou- uh, hundred satellites up in space today, Okay. And so full coverage, and they collect GPS data,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, weather data, yeah. and become uh, has today become the number one provider uh, mm-hmm gather of those data in the world yeah. and provides them to uh, various industries like shipping, aviation, yeah. um, governments mm-hmm. uh, and so on and
0: so forth. So do you think, I guess, uh, you know, an in industry like space, that you've got these big titans at the front sort of starting to knock down some of the barriers and potentially in the next 10, 20 years, it might become a market for early stage startups to really be more involved and be in the mix and you might be there at the forefront helping them get going.
1: Would love to. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Uh, we hope that that's the direction it's going. Mm-hmm. The analogy that we think of is uh, the internet world pre Amazon Web Services. It was quite expensive to become an internet, internet entrepreneur. You needed to raise twenty million dollars yeah. just to build your own server racks yeah. uh, build your own you know infrastructure team, mm-hmm. and then get the ball rolling. Then only mm-hmm. then could you get your product out. Yeah. But when Amazon came out with you know AWS, yeah. Uh, it democratized uh, becoming an, an internet entrepreneur. So mm-hmm. anybody could set up a business mm-hmm. plan, uh, on the internet. Yeah, And uh, I think we will hopefully go through a similar transformation in uh, space, yeah. where let's say, um, as an example, Spire could potentially be uh, an, an aspect of that AWS where now anybody can build off Spire's data, yeah. right? So let's say you wanted to build uh, a company that will require weather and GPS data and you want to do something very novel with that. Let's say you wanted to cover farm uh, cattle, right? Cows are very Mm -hmm. expensive assets, actually. And in some markets, you know, your farms are gigantic, thousands of acres. How do you cover, you know, your cows (laughs) uh, across the whole region? (laughs) Satellites. So I might be stretching it,
0: but I think well, I, I think that's a good, a good example of in terms of, you know, democratizing the space business. I think I can see an article already on Fresco um, coming up um, and having access to those network, that network effect of being able to access those nanosatellites in, and the data that's coming through to them. It throws up all these interesting business opportunities, no? Which, like you just mentioned, is the, the abundance of e-commerce stores. And, and this, this is all because of those initial foundations that were built.
1: Exactly. So the infrastructure is being built. And I think, you know, SpaceX is doing, you know, very good um, uh, with shooting up another you know, a couple thousand satellites into mm-hmm. space and things. Everybody's trying to build that infrastructure. Yeah. And then hopefully we'll, uh, we'll have another application there on
0: top of it. And just to come back to space, because it's quite interesting topic. Uh, what are your thoughts on, I think, for me, it's always very interesting how we had this huge boom in space. Um, Exploration and f- funding um, through the 80s, etc. Everything kind of died down in maybe in terms of like the public perception. It's still, obviously going on and vast resources behind it. But do you think there's with the proliferation of uh, things like SpaceX, um, the kind of video footage we can now get access to, the launches, they're they're becoming these more tentpole events, again, like they used to be. Um, Do you think that's gonna sort of start turning the wheel a little bit more towards this new sort of space exploration age? Um, And potentially as well with what's happening in society at large or what's happening governmentally? Um, Is there gonna be a new space race or some sort of new push to move beyond the stars?
1: that's a great question I don't know uh, but I think uh, one trend we see is and this is not just for space but overall so if I was trying to explain why why we're seeing more videos or why is it more accessible um, the internet um, has made everybody connected right so let's say uh, now I'm in I'm from Tajikistan and I love space launches today I have the means to be able to watch a space launch.
0: Yeah, you don't have to go down to Cape Canaveral and stand there for six exactly. hours and, yeah. So
1: uh, I can just go online, uh, open up YouTube or uh, whatever social uh, media platform um, I wanna follow the launch and I can watch it, right? And I think that that is touching uh, individuals kind of on the fringes, you could say. And so the internet is gathering a much larger audience than uh, we potentially had uh, in, in the previous years, right? I think the previous year it was uh, you know when it was really hot it was during the the, the two superpower peaks with Soviet Union and mm-hmm. uh, the u.s kind of really uh, doing the pushing mm-hmm. uh, but now it has become a lot more democratized but at the same time now almost everyone follows it through you know their own uh, media
0: yeah yeah great point there um, Taking us back down to earth, so you have experience as both the founder um, and now as a, a VC. Um, uh, so I think it would be great to get your sort of insight on the age-old question of how do you go about securing funding, um, which I'm sure many people who might be tuning into this video knowing there's a VC involved. Um, how do you go about securing funding as a startup um, and what sort, of, um, what sort of approach do you often see now as a, as a VC and what was your approach when you were a founder?
1: Sure. Uh, I think uh, I can start with, you know, uh, there's a lot of things, let's start from an investor perspective, there's a lot of things you can uh, bring to the table uh, as an entrepreneur, Uh, but I can mention one thing that we particularly look uh, for um, is uh, founder market fit, right, so you probably heard me uh, mention product market fit earlier, uh, but what we, in addition to that, love, you know, identifying if the founder is particularly passionate about their market. Mm-hmm. If you or she is passionate about the market, they will find the right problem, because sometimes you don't have the right problem. Uh, and if you have the right problem, you'll find the right solution or product, and you'll build it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but critically, it is important that you love that market. <laughs> and so that's something we look for, uh, in addition you know, to a number of other uh, data points, but that's something very important to us. Mm-hmm. And so I would say, um, if you're trying to, you know get an investor hooked for at least, you know, a chat or a coffee, um, try to show, you know, you have that founder mindset, fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that will be definitely something that we'll be looking for. Uh, and then uh, as a, when I was an entrepreneur, I, I made a myriad of mistakes um, when I was building my company. Uh, so they were, it was a lot of fun, uh, painful, but still fun. Uh, in retrospect, there was a lot of takeaways. Um, I think what I did when I was trying to secure funding was we always focused on um, uh, traction. So it was, you know, kind of honed in to me from early days, from my mentors and from the authority that we went through that customer traction is the most important metric you can try mm-hmm. to show to any external party that you want to collaborate with, be it customers, mm-hmm. right? If customers hear that you have good customer traction, they're more likely to buy. Um, if you have investors, uh, you say you have pretty good customer traction. They're more likely to invest. Uh, partners will be more excited, so on and so forth. So um, that was something that I learned uh, very early on, and I'm grateful to the advisors and the community to uh, have taught me that. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think that stands today. Yeah. Uh, the more customer traction you can show, yeah. be it like conversations, you don't need to have hard revenue numbers, Let's mm-hmm. say like. You are talking to your customers, and you have metrics. I've talked to 17 customers. Got the
0: engagement. There's leads coming back. There's
1: feedback going on. And uh, obviously, you know, you might come back and say, "Oh, but we don't have revenue." But are you talking to your customers? As long as you're doing that, I think you're in good shape.
0: Great. So that's a good one to remember if you're ever pitching to for us in a (laughs) meeting. Get those traction numbers up. Um, You mentioned there about um, building companies um, and. Many sort of startups these days who are looking for that sort of hypergrowth element, there's, there's this element of tech that's always there. Um, do you think it's vital that tech is, forms the backbone of any company these days? Um, because I think increasingly you're starting to see some of these companies start to unravel a little bit when it realizes they've potentially overpromised how much tech is just baked into their, their growth. Um, so what are your thoughts on, on, on that?
1: Yeah, I think it's a great question. Uh, is tech necessary for a business? Um, I think tech takes many shapes and forms, uh, but taking a step back to start a successful business, you don't necessarily need technology, mm-hmm. right? Uh, technology is the typically the enabler of scale, mm-hmm. uh, and so for venture uh, investors like us, see uh, you need, uh, we need to invest in scale because that's the type of capital we allocate, mm-hmm. right? And so we will look for companies that will scale, and that is typically uh, correlated with technology. right? That doesn't always have to be the case, but that's typically where we come in. Uh, I can give you one example of uh, a company that not many people classify as a tech company, Starbucks. Starbucks mm-hmm. was VC funded, Yeah. right? Uh, and they went for scale, right? So they are kind of, they're everywhere now, right? And that's the type of um, scale we look for when mm-hmm. investing, right? Yeah. So we wouldn't invest into a Starbucks, but yeah. Venture investors do, yeah. um, but you can build many very successful businesses that are uh, not uh, tech-enabled, mm-hmm. um, are not venture uh, capital, you know, intensive. Um, you could, you know, uh, set up your own uh, wine shop. Uh, you can set up um, your own uh, consulting firm. Those are all successful businesses, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, with not or very little tech, yeah. and that's perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, but it's a different segment of, you know, the whole
0: economy and the business world. And do you feel there's, do you feel there's a sort of a change in the wind, maybe, and in, in where we're going with investment into startups and this hypergrowth sort of phase that's been happening a little bit, as we're starting to see the Ubers, the WeWorks, the, the these sort of some of these IPOs falling flat or not even happening, and sort of the true value of what some of these companies are producing not quite matching what they're sort of output is
1: yeah the, t- the, t- the tech clash is very much the tech clash is very much real um, and I think it goes uh, probably deeper than you know whether it's technology uh, driving them or not but uh, I would probably want to focus on the culture right and I think we have uh, and we're all part of you know uh, the ecosystem so we can't play, we can you know, point the finger at one and say it's their fault or not we're all part of it, it is We, as an ecosystem, have to do a better job of um, being inclusive, creating the right culture, uh, putting the right values, and aligning various stakeholders together uh, when building a company. And I think that's critical. Um, I think that sometimes gets overlooked in company building. We overlook uh, culture, we overlook getting the right values in. Um, And I think whenever that happens, um, you get situations like Theranos, you get situations like WeWork,
0: mm-hmm. and uh,
1: obviously uh, Uber has been well documented in mm-hmm. these culture issues. Mm-hmm. Um, you can still build successful businesses, yeah. but uh, clearly there are you know things that uh, make it very difficult for companies to scale yeah. the size they are. Yeah.
0: yeah, it's keeping the culture, the culture is core and key to how you scale, and small. Sort of uh, issues within that culture. Once you start scaling, they just magnify, right?
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah. So Garage has just opened a, a workspace within an airport at Changi, uh, calling it Connect. Um, and I think this is part of our sort of move uh, within the future of work. Um, starting to see how people are changing. Uh, workplaces are changing. I think. Uh, I mean, th- this week in Hong Kong, a lot of businesses are obviously having to uh, come to terms with flexible working and are now able to offer it, um, surprisingly. So. That's sort of our, our move into a little bit more of a uh, flexible way of working. You're in an airport, you can drop in, and it's an innovation hub. Um, and I think uh, the future of work is an area that Fresco's obviously interested in. Um, and the habits and changes of how we work um, is a key part of sort of some of your portfolio. So, uh, what's some of your um, thoughts behind that and where we're we going with the future of work?
1: Lots and lots of places, right? So, I think there's a lot of different trends coming together. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, You know, give one example. um, Is uh, our company PipeDrive? Mm -hmm. Um, It's a it's a CRM tool. uh, Basically, the IKEA of CRMs. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, So what they do is they focus on uh, SMEs. So companies with you know, five hundred headcount and below. Right. so Salesforce uh, who we also all know is you know 10,000 empl- thousand 10, employees 10,000 employees yeah, month yeah a huge uh, deployment mm-hmm. uh, but one trend that you know we've already been on and we've seen is the growth of you know independent workers freelancers smaller teams uh, even within larger organizations smaller teams SMEs <laughs> more startups and um, Salesforce is not really uh, built for those type of teams. Right. You need uh, something, you know, um, like the IQ of CRMs yeah. uh, that you can build on your own. And Pipedrive uh, jumped on that trend, uh, and I think that trend is only continuing to grow mm-hmm. where you know, there's more independent teams. So Slack is another example of that, mm-hmm. where even within large organizations, uh, you could have smaller teams kind of being independent and doing their own thing, and Slack allows yeah. for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Slack, Pipedrive, and the list continues. So that's one trend in uh, the future of work that we like and Mm -hmm. we've seen and we've invested. Mm
0: -hmm. It's connecting the, it's providing that framework and foundation for the businesses to work flexibly, I guess, which I'm sure again, larger organizations might be finding this week, oh, we, we don't actually have the right systems and procedures in place to allow staff to be able to work flexibly from their home. Um, if you do have them in place, it's actually very easy and for us all to work sort of anywhere really um, and be able to connect and work together, share resources, comment, and engage on, on work together.
1: That's very true. I think uh, you're seeing you know, more um, work from home, or mm-hmm. work across borders, mm-hmm. right? So uh, we take Fresco as an example. Uh, we are uh, a pretty global team. Mm-hmm. Uh, our teams are based in Silicon Valley, uh, Tokyo, and here in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Right? And uh, through uh, the use of technology, you know, um, we're super, we're hyper-connected. It feels like we're in the same office almost. Uh, we have at least two calls uh, in one week with the whole team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we use Zoom. Yeah. And I think Zoom is part of that future of work. Yeah. Um, uh, we constantly keep us uh, each other updated. Uh, we use Slack again. Mm-hmm. Uh, we use Pipedrive. Drive. We use Travel. so we use all mm-hmm. these tech applications that mm-hmm. the ecosystem has created. Mm-hmm. Um, that is part of the future of work uh, at a, in a very traditional industry. And I think yeah. that is that's how you know a lot of industries are changing. Is that uh, you can be a lot more global. You can be a lot more flexible, but at the same time you will still be hyper connected.
0: Yeah, and uh, just to. Sort of bring us to an end of this discussion. Sort of, what have you seen with the markets this year, and uh, any any new developments that have excited you? And where do you see where do you think we're going into twenty twenty?
1: Twenty twenty is going to be a fascinating year because twenty nineteen was a tough year. I think all around, uh, from an economic standpoint, from a, a global standpoint, uh, you know, it wasn't um, it wasn't an easy year for you know a lot of economies. I think 2020 hopefully will be better Uh, in terms of, you know, investment or trends that we like to see. um, I think fundraising was difficult for a lot of entrepreneurs in 2019. Uh, Funding slowed down, uh, but if they were prudent, if they were, uh, you know, efficient with uh, their cash flow, uh, hopefully they made it through and 2020 should be geared up to allow them to uh, fundraise a little bit better. So Mm -hmm. fundraising should pick up at some point. Uh, right now, it is pretty tough. We have encouraged entrepreneurs to be a bit more uh, diligent in how they uh, spend their resources. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that trickles uh, to also investors. Investors are a bit more cautious, mm-hmm. and so they're not deploying as as often. And so, uh, entrepreneurs, I think, are also slowing down um, starting new businesses. Uh, so there's there's a lot of things that are kind of in limbo. Um, but hopefully, 2020 unlocks a lot of that, yep. and
0: you know things get dynamic again. Yeah. Uh, so we, we're taking a pretty positive outlook there. That's great. Yeah. Positivity for 2020. That's a great way to. I think so. Excellent. Well, thanks for joining us, Frozen, and uh, see you next time.